0: Welcome to our second of four services today. Uh, We are especially glad if you're watching us online. I know that a lot of people are traveling and uh, are all kinds of places, but uh, we always want to remember to uh, welcome our online congregation, as well as you who are in the room. We are in our last Sunday of a series where we have really been talking a lot about how God decided... Out of his power and sovereignty, he just decided to be one of us. And I think that's so we can understand. I've seen parents, I saw Judy when our kids were little, you know, get way down and, and, and be on a child's level to try to understand what it is that they're going through. Try to understand what it is that's bothering them. And it's a, it's a remarkable thing when we lay aside our own agenda in order to understand the feelings, the needs, the emotions of, of somebody who's not us. That's what God did. He decided in His power that the way He was going to forgive our sins was to have His Son born as an infant. We can all relate to the helplessness of infants to have his son grow up and and all we know of Jesus's adolescence is that he as a 12 year old went to the temple and asked a lot of questions it's it's ironic to me as a former youth minister that the very first word that we know of that Jesus ever spoke as a 12 year old boy was the word why (laughs) who is surprised not me so we, we have this, this wonder called incarnation, God with us. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus, he, he said there will be a son and he will be called Emmanuel. That, that was not his name, it was his title, God with us. It was, it was an activity of God. So in our world, we love to tell stories. So uh, uh, today I'm, I'm asking you the question, what is your Christmas story? What, what is it that you tell other people about what happened here today? What is it that you tell other people about this season, about the trees and the lights and the decorations that, 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 that range from, I won't put a light out in my yard, to a very simple display to the Griswolds? It, 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 what are you going to tell people about your story You know, we love to tell stories. As a a culture, we love to tell stories. We tell stories that entertain. We tell stories that inspire. We tell stories that inform. We will hear stories around the table over the next few days that we wish we would not have heard. And you will hear stories about yourself that you will wish someone had not told. We will hear stories that make us laugh. We will think of stories that bring a tear to our eyes. We will tell stories of people who are there. We will tell stories of people who should be there and aren't. We will tell lots of stories because that's what we do as a culture. And we've done it forever, right? We we have let stories be the way that we give information about us to future generations. When Back in cave drawings, there were stories about civilizations, stories about families, stories about uh, the way of life in a particular area. And while the method of telling stories has changed over time, we migrated from cave drawings to the written word, along the way oral tradition uh, we were a, an illiterate society for the vast majority of our history and the only way that a child could know what the ancestors were about the only way that a, a new generation could ever understand what the old generations had it was to tell the stories I'm the sixth pastor of the Dunwoody Baptist Church, and each of the pastors before me that that brought something to this community of faith that that, that has a story that's associated with it. And that's not even counting the the, the very first story that that explains how we managed to be on this corner of Ashford-Dunwoody and Mount Vernon. And so the stories are told, and, and if a new generation doesn't have the stories, and I don't, I'm not talking about the, the stories that, that, that are, are, are only for a minute. I'm talking about the stories that are timeless. And, yeah, we've changed our methods. We move from the oral tradition to written word, novels, biographies, histories. We somewhere along the way begin to put it in film. And we told our stories first through silent pictures, then through movies. We have along the way uh, made that very personal where now we tell our stories through pictures that we take on our phones, uh, short videos that we take on our phones. Uh, we, we, We still tell our stories. We blog, we tweet, although you don't call it that anymore, but X never felt like a good verb. We tweet. Do we X? Anyway, we tell our stories in 140 characters or we tell our stories in volumes, but we are a storytelling generation and one of the most important parts about storytelling, if not the most important part, is that future generations can know the stories that are important to us. And we who are followers of Christ, we, we believe that the most important story we could tell is this story of Jesus, this story of Advent. We use that term because Advent in, in Latin, it means coming. It, it means arrival. And so the the Advent season, the story of Advent, is that story that we tell that explains to other generations why we follow Jesus, why why we think that's such an important thing. It is the Advent of Jesus, the story of the coming of Jesus. And we know that the word gospel or good news, it's actually used in the passage that I'm going to read in just a moment that that word explains the whole of the Jesus story that he was uh, predicted eight centuries or more before he came, that he was a way that God was going to reach us. He was born of a a, 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 a woman who'd never known a man. Miraculously, he, he grew into an inquisitive teenager, a, a, an adult who would tell the stories, who would teach, who would show us how to live. That in his mission, he was Uh, captured and crucified by the romans buried on the third day he rose from the dead and he promised that he will return again that's the gospel that's the story of jesus so i'd like to tell you a story i'm going to read from luke chapter 2 full disclosure this is one of the stories in my family Uh, My father, who came to Christ late in life, but who was trained in the ways of religion as a boy, he would not let us open presents until we had read from Luke chapter 2. And so being the cruel father that I am, I did not let us open presents until we had read from Luke chapter 2. And one of my very favorite pictures is that of my grandson sitting on my lap while we read Luke chapter 2. So bear with me, personal moment. This is a story. In those days, now this is written by Dr. Luke. He wrote Luke and Acts, a two-volume set, and he was an historian. So in those days alerts us to the fact that it's a a real sequence of events. It's not a a fairy tale. It's not once upon a time. It's in those days these things actually happened. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, special prize to anybody who can tell me his other name, Octavian, Octavian, who was aligned against Mark Antony and Cleopatra in the famous Battle of Actium that determined the future of Rome the future of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was the one who transitioned Rome from being a republic to an empire. And so this is a real person. This, this really happened. A decree went out. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That allows us a timestamp. All went to be registered in his own hometown. And Joseph went up from Galilee, Nazareth, to Jerusalem. Now, he actually went up because Galilee is north and a little bit west of Jerusalem, which is high in the mountains, so he literally went up to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem, which is about two miles away. And he went because taxation required that a census would be taken. Some things never change. And he was to uh, go to Bethlehem because, verse 4, he was of the lineage of David, King David. So he was with his betrothed, his his fiancée, who was with child. And while they came there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, all of human history changed with that verse. All of history changed with verse 7. And a baby was born, and she gave birth to her first son. This is Jesus. This is Christianity. This is this is the pivot of history. So she laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And verse eight, in the same region, there were some shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were afraid. The angel said, "Don't be afraid." Well, that's a little hard. You're an angel don't be afraid because I bring you good news that that word good news in your scripture that's gospel that's that's what translates it'll be a great joy for all the people and unto you this day is born a city in the city of David a savior who is Christ the lord and this will be a sign you're going to find the baby in the manger wrapped in swaddling claws and then the angels broke out suddenly there was the uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. I don't know how many a multitude is, but apparently a lot. And they said, glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. It reminds you a little bit of, of Isaiah chapter 9, when the, when the prophecy eight centuries before Jesus it said that there will be a light to those people who are walking in darkness. There will be a great light, there will be a revelation, there will be illumination, there will be this sense that we've passed from darkness to light, and it will be for all the people, and Isaiah goes on to say, and and for unto us a son, a, a baby is born, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, so this is what the angels were singing about. In verse 15, when the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds said, you know, we should go to Bethlehem and see this thing, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told to them. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds said, but Mary treasured these things in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, Joshua, Savior, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We tell stories, and the greatest story that's ever told is is that one, and one of the ways that we choose to tell stories in our culture is with props, object lessons. At this time of year, we use candles. Now, what's the purpose of a candle? A candle is the conquest of darkness by light. Boom. Darkness. And when you light a candle, it's a profound testimony that light conquers darkness. Prove my point. Many of you have a basement. Basements, by definition, have few, if any, windows. And the light to your basement is probably at the top of the stairway going down to the basement. And many of you have walked down those stairs and went, I sure wish I'd have remembered to turn the light on because all you see is darkness. I don't know where my feet are going. I don't know what I'm going to trip over. I'm a little bit anxious about what's ahead of me, what's under my feet. But a single candle, a single flashlight, a single light chases away that darkness, chases away that fear, chases away that anxiety. That has been the purpose of light throughout the ages. And so at this time of year, we use lights in the form of candles to help us understand the story of Christmas, the story of the Advent. And we do this sequentially, so each candle represents a part of the story, and the first part of the story is represented with a purple candle that we call the candle of prophecy. We call it the the candle of hope, the candle of anticipation, the candle that reminds us that for eight centuries before Jesus was born, the, the prophets begin to lay down the foundation of understanding so that we could have such hope. Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14, he said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He will conceive, the virgin will conceive, and have a baby, and his name will be called Emmanuel. Later on in Romans, Paul said the root of Je- uh, David, David was, in, uh, was Jesse's son, will spring up one who will rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles hope. Paul, in the first century, captured what Isaiah said seven centuries or eight centuries before Christ, and and he said this is not going to be reserved to just people of Jewish lineage. This will be for all of the world, for any who would come to him. May the God of peace fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you can overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. May we never Lose the hope of Advent. No matter how dark our basement is, no matter the crushing emotional weight that sometimes just makes us feel like we're in darkness, may we never lose hope that God has a plan. May we never lose the anticipation of wondering what God is going to do next. Uh, the, 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 the prophecy, the, the, the eight centuries before, it, it gave way to 400 years of silence. And as Brian said in his message that began this series, the silence was broken when the angel spoke to Zechariah prophesying the birth of John the Baptist. May we never lose that sense of anticipation that God has a plan, and that plan includes us. It includes our circumstances, no matter how dark. It includes our, our promise, great that it is, it includes every man, woman, and child. It is his hope. May we never lose track. The second candle. The love candle or the candle of love. Now, this is interesting. Because we have lit this candle forever, but it's sort of the, uh, the given, Right? But it's represented by the little town of Bethlehem, a dusty little town that's just two miles from Jerusalem, a town that's known pretty much for two things, the birth of Jesus and souvenir shops where you can buy olive wood to bring home to your friends when you go to the Israel. Israel. And these, the, the, the place where Jesus was, was born or the place that represents it today is a cave. And it's a cave that's underneath a church, a very ornate Orthodox church. And the only way to get into the church or the only way they let tourists get into the church is through a door that if you are very tall, it is very awkward to get through A child could walk through standing up, but most adults have to stoop, and some uncomfortably so, it's called the door of humility. And Bethlehem represents the humility that that God humbled himself. Philippians says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming one of us. John would later say it this way, For God so loved the world, the love candle, He so loved us, that He sent His only Son to be born as a child, to be raised as a teenager, a young adult, a middle adult, and He never got middle age. But He sent His only Son to, so that whoever would embrace this story, whoever would would become a part of this story, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love verse 17. I don't have it up there. for, For God didn't send him in the world to condemn us, but that through him we could be saved. Through him we could be forgiven. Through him our story could become part of his story, that of everlasting life. Again, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will rest upon his shoulders. Of his kingdom there will be no end. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Among all of the things that Jesus would be called, love rises to the top because God so loved the world that he gave. We get to take part in that. Does it involve humility? Bethlehem, sure it does. We understand that his agenda is not always our agenda. And that we bow before him, especially this time of year, when we realize all that he did for us. The third candle. The shepherd's candle. This is actually the pink one. I would love to tell you I know why, but I don't. Shepherds were not well regarded. They weren't even allowed into a city because they stunk. They they handled sheep and all that goes into and comes out of sheep. They they were not ever considered to be upper class or elite or sophisticated in any way. How odd of God that He would appear to them. How how interesting that the shepherds were the first to, to put together the puzzle pieces of the joy that God was putting on the table through the birth of an infant. How interesting that they would be out watching their fields, their flocks. The custom was at night they would gather their own flock. Other parts of the Bible, more sermons, the sheep knew their voice, so they would call out to their own sheep. Their sheep would gather around them. They would put them in some kind of an organized place for the night. Usually the shepherd then would lay down over the opening to that fold and, and he would watch over his flocks by night. Yet this night, this night, the shepherds were all awakened and, and they all stood up from wherever they were, probably came together uh, as a group across several fields and said, do you see what I see? And God decided to spread that joy. Here, here's the story. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. We read this. And an angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord was everywhere. All of a sudden, the were going, sheep were going, I'm trying to sleep here. There's light everywhere. And the glory of the Lord. And the first thing he said was, don't be afraid. May we be like shepherds. And allow God in his glory to dispel our fears. So many things we're afraid of. So many things that make us anxious. So many things that cause us to wish things weren't the way they are. And yet God speaks over them. May we, like the shepherds, hear the voice of God telling us not to be afraid. And then he said to them, and it's so easy for us to look back on this story. We know how it ends. But these shepherds didn't, they, they may have heard pieces of the prophecies. They were basically illiterate. And yet the the Lord said to him, Here's going to be a sign for you. Here is a sign especially for you. There will be a baby, he will be wrapped in cloths, he will be laying in a manger. This is a sign for you. Here, here's something to tell you that God has not forgotten you. Other people may not let you in their town, but God has not forgotten you. What a great word to anybody who's ever felt just a little less confident than you might, a little less sure of yourself, maybe not very accepted. Maybe you're just wondering if God had, had even remembered that you were living and breathing. Well, well here's a symbol. He, he said to the shepherds, you, you don't even have to take my word for it. And, and eventually it said, we, we really ought to go to Bethlehem and check this thing out. The candle of the shepherds. The fourth candle. The candle of peace. Boy, don't we all wish that there could be peace even in Jerusalem this promise of peace this is what the scripture says there's born this day the angel said glory to God in the highest peace goodwill to men peace to those who seek him peace to those who would uh, would kneel at his feet peace to those who would receive him." <laughs> couple weeks ago we looked at Mary's prayer when she was handling this she said my soul glorifies the Lord How, how could he be mindful of me just little me how could he bring peace to even my spirit when everything about everything is in turmoil later on Jesus would say here's peace take my yoke upon you Let let you become part of me. Let me become part of you. I am gentle. I am humble. I came as a baby. I made the way, but you will find rest for your souls. You will find peace. What a great promise. A promise that Isaiah said 800 years earlier, comfort my people. He hears your cry. Your pain can come to an end. Isaiah chapter 40. Well, the true light is the light of Christ. In recent days, we have started lighting this this candle, this center candle, this candle that we call the Christ candle. And this has not always been part of the Advent story. But the center candle, the, the, the Christ candle, where he says, his light to everyone through him the world did not see him he came to that which was his own but the, they didn't receive him but to those who would receive him he gave the right to become children of God and so we light the Christ candle to remind us of the gospel to remind us of this this story that has many components love joy peace, hope, but it is the story of Jesus, the gospel, that we can receive in order for us to understand the whole story.
1: Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night. Of our dear Savior's birth Long lay the world In sin and error pining Till He appeared And the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn for and cry. His law is love And his gospel is peace Change shall he break For the slave is our brother And in his name All oppression shall cease Sweet hymns of joy in grateful corners, raise we Let all within us Praise His holy name Cry Whoa!
2: Give Him the glory. Give Him the praise. Can we just
0: praise Him this morning? Did anybody notice that in the story that I read just a minute ago, the Scripture talks about the shepherds, illiterate shepherds, relying on the oral tradition of the story that God gave them, and there was something instinctive that said, we have to tell others. So we always end our Christmas Eve services with the passing of the light. And as we get the light distributed in the room, we're going to
2: stand together and sing Silent Night. So would you join us? I know that light is still spreading around. Would you stand up together with us? To sing it one more time a cappella. We're going to go back to the first verse and I want you to and just invite you to stand, put your hands high. And just as kind of joked about it, but sending the light to the balcony is a funny thing, but it's actually a picture. There are parts of this world that don't have the light of Christ. They don't have the gospel in their language. And we need to this Christmas be mindful of this light that's needed to go out to all the uttermost parts of the earth. And I hope that that's part of our our Christmas message in our hearts is that we're praying for this gospel light that our pastor shared with us to go out to the earth. So let's sing this together. Silent night. Oh pray that as you go out from here, that that light that is Christ will shine brightly in your life, in your hearts. And that this gospel truth that spreads love and joy and peace and hope, faith spreads Christ to all the world, would shine out from us even after these candles are dimmed. God bless you all and Merry Christmas.